Thanks for tuning in to Strap on Your Boots. I'm your host, Jason Sherman. I'm a successful entrepreneur, award-winning filmmaker, and a guest lecturer at top universities along with Udemy for my course, Startup Essentials. In today's episode, I have my first guest on this podcast, founder and executive director of the Primavera Fund and member of the Fairmount Strings Quartet, Rachel Siegel. Thanks for coming. Hi, thanks for having me. Cool. So a lot of the times when people see that there's a successful musician, um, one of the first things they wonder is how you got into music, not just as a hobby, but as a profession. And what were the, the steps that got you there? Well, I come from a musical and artistic family. My dad's family is, um, his, his brother was a classical guitarist and his mother was a very good amateur pianist and painter. And his brother was a professional, um, sculptor as well. And so they really believe that kids should have an education in music. So when I was three years old, my parents got me in, involved in uh, violin and the Suzuki method. And I did that for about five years until I switched teachers um, to someone in the Philadelphia Orchestra. Awesome. And, um, yeah, it just kind of went from there. And eventually it became my own thing. That's cool. Yeah. I actually um, did the Suzuki method growing up as well. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. That's what it's I, really great for, for kids. I mean, whether or not you're going to go into music or, or not, you know, it's just really, it's a great way of learning about music. That's funny. We did the same thing. So when did you realize that you loved music enough to make it your profession? Well, that was actually um, what, that was when I first started in the Philadelphia Youth Orchestra was really when it started to become my own thing. Um, up until that point, it was kind of something my parents took me to. <clears throat> I mean, I liked doing it, but I never really thought of it in any way except kind of an extracurricular activity type of way. Um, and what did you focus on when you were playing? Was it mostly violin? Yeah. So I also played piano growing up, but when I was about eight years old, they made me, well, not me, maybe the, I, I came to a point where I was, <laughs> I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> um, I had to choose which one I was going to pursue um, more seriously because there's only so many hours in a day. Both are very difficult instruments. So I chose violin because with violin, I felt like I could play with others more. And piano is more of a solitary instrument until you get really, really good. But I wasn't at that point then. Yeah, my parents made me. Uh-huh. Many times my friends would knock on my door and say, can Jason come play? Mm-hmm. And my mom would say, not until he's finished practicing playing the violin. Yep, that's right. That's so right. I was one of those kids that couldn't go out. Oh, me too. Okay, yeah. so I'm not alone. All right, no. good. No. Um, so when I started in Philadelphia Youth Orchestra, I was 11 years old. Wow. Um, I had never been to a rock concert. I had never you know, heard anything as loud as the first day I sat down in the back of the second violin sections, uh, section sandwiched in between the French horns and the suspended cymbal right behind my Oh, my bed. God. Right. <laughs> and we started with Prokofiev's Romeo and Juliet Suite Number 1, um, which starts with this huge brass chord that builds and builds and builds until the suspended cymbal comes in. And I was completely overwhelmed by the sound. Like, it was wow. just the coolest thing I'd ever heard in my whole life. And then that was it. I was hooked. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, being in that environment, I could imagine. I remember being in orchestras growing up, also that exhilarating feeling you get yeah. from the, you know, everyone's in unison, everyone's mm-hmm. playing their part, and it just sounds beautiful, and you you like to be a part of that, you know? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's this, it's this huge group effort that comes together in something really magical. 
So is, tell me, is that why you started the Primavera Fund? Well, it's actually named after Joseph Primavera, who was the uh, music director of the Philadelphia Youth Orchestra for more than 50 years. One of the longest tenures of anyone in any orchestra, youth orchestra or otherwise. Wow. Um, and he was just an incredible musician and an incredible mentor and um, gave everything of himself to music education. And one of his dreams, he always wanted to see more kids from Philadelphia in the Philadelphia Youth Orchestra because, of course, you know, it's called Philadelphia Youth Orchestra. It should be for Philly kids, right? right. But that's where sort of the privilege comes in of being able to take lessons because your parents have a certain amount of, you know, affluence. Mm-hmm. Um, and instruments are and valuable. I mean, they're worth money. Expensive. Lessons are expensive and um, youth orchestra tuition is expensive. And so, you know, it ended up being a lot of kids from the suburbs and some kids from the city. I was from, I'm from Fairmount. I grew up in, in the city, but yeah, I wanted to do something that really would help kids in the city who may not come from such an affluent background, but who really love it, really want to do it and are really talented. So that's, that was sort of the, the beginnings of the Primavera Fund. That's awesome. It's good that you like laid tribute to Primavera as yeah, well. So that's yeah, pretty cool. I, it was, we went around and around about names, of course, and my uh, associate director, Kenny Bean, who's a really good friend of mine, we just kept texting each other anytime we would you know, think, well, what about this one? What about this one? And eventually I said, what about the Primavera Fund? And he just wrote back, yep, that's it. And, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds a lot easier than it was, I'm sure. Well, it, it took me about a month. I guess it didn't take that long. Yeah, that's why I'm saying it sounded easier, but it was. It's, I know it's coming up with a name is always tough. Yeah, coming up with a name. And I'm not sure that it really, on the surface, says everything about it. But, you know, was it Philadelphia Young Musicians Initiative? What You know, things like that. I've always liked the name. Yeah. I've always thought it was a good name. It's got a good story behind it, so it kind of leads to talking about it that way. Coming up with a a new fund, a new foundation, a new orchestra, uh, must have had a lot of challenges along the way. What were some of the most prominent challenges that you faced and how you overcame them? Well, I think the biggest challenge we faced at first was just, you know, what are we going to do? You know, we had, I, I was really, really lucky because we started with an endowment. And it's really tempting to, you know, say you want to fix everything. You want to give everyone everything, but it's it's too overarching. So sort of paring down your dreams to what is possible. Mm. Um, you know, and I always tell people, they, everyone wants to cure world hunger. Just start with making sure that every kid in your zip code has a free lunch at school. You know, just start. You just have to start somewhere. So that was really the biggest challenge was where to start from. You know, and this is something, it's funny that you said this, but this is one of the number one things I teach students and entrepreneurs is to look at what you need versus what you want mm-hmm. and try to remove as many quote unquote features um, of your product or your platform or your business as possible and start with what's called a minimum viable product. Right. So you want to start with the most, the most basic form of what your idea is and then kind of build upon that. And it sounds like you did the same exact thing. You went with like the most basic fundamental piece that would make your foundation work. And then you started growing and, and expanding it. Is that, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, that's so true for nonprofits as well as for-profit businesses, you know, and um, what we wanted to do was um, combat the problem of privilege in classical music. Cause you know, there's a lot of it. And I don't mean that, 
problem in that it's a problem for classical music, but it's there is the it's cost prohibitive to a lot of students. Um, and that was what we wanted to focus on. So we decided how many kids can we help? Where are we going to put the boundaries in terms of, you know, who we can serve? Like, for instance, myself and my associate director, Kenny, I'm a violinist and he's a trumpet player and we both conduct um, what we know is the classical orchestral world. So this is what we're doing is we're trying to, you know, just help this one little niche of the world, the classical music world. It's awesome. You know, by helping kids in this way. Yeah. And again, you, you mentioned that you had a niche and that's an, also something that you want to focus your product on a certain target market. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you've found a gap in the market and you're filling it. And, and that's exactly how you start a business. So you, you like, you nailed it like right out of the, right out of the park, you know? Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. No, it's great. It's great to hear it for me too. I love, I like hearing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so during all these, uh, you know, building process to, and the challenges that you might have faced, there were probably moments of clarity and fulfillment through your journey that you hit, like where you realized, Oh wow. So this is what it's all about. This is what I was trying to do. And, and, and you actually achieved it. What were like some of those moments or one of those moments? Well, um, if you go to our website, which is www.primaverafund.org, uh, one of the things you can watch there is this short video that we have. Um, and in that video is one of, as our very first student who we accepted, his name is, Zebediah Coombs, and he's in his junior year right now at Rowan University for music education. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. He is the first person in his family to go to college. (laughs) You deserve a clap. (laughs) Thanks. I mean, that to me, you know, the, the fact that we were able to give him the tools that helped him achieve that and pursue his dream. And he really wants to be a music educator. And I always say the best thing a young musician can have is a really great music teacher. And he's doing that now, not because of only because of the tools we gave him, but also because of the hope that we gave him. Mm. You know, When he saw that real professionals believed in him, it was easier for him to believe in himself. Wow. That was really the first moment when I was like, oh, it's working, it's working. So. <laughs> I can imagine what yeah. you felt like. It was, it was pretty awesome when, when he got that acceptance letter and let us know. It's pretty amazing. Wow, congrats on that. Thanks. Big deal. Thanks. It's always nice to hear like the, the, the good things that happen and, and the, the challenges that you were able to, to pass and all the fulfilling moments. But man, during a lot of people's journeys running a business or a nonprofit, you make a lot of mistakes. Uh, unless you have a lot of people on your team that help you avoid those mistakes, you're going to make them. What were some of those mistakes that you made while starting this foundation that you wish you could have avoided and that you can maybe tell others, here's how you can avoid them? Well, I think probably the hardest thing for us has been setting up systems of accountability for the students. And I know that they try their best, but look, they're kids. You know, there's going to be some attrition you know, one year they're interested in music. They, I, I want to play the flute forever. And then the next year they're like, nah, actually soccer. Yeah, right. So I think, um, as the, now we're in our fifth year, um, we now have a system of juries that we've set up. So we really hear them and see them in person and talk to them. Like we talk to them a lot during the year, but this is really a formalized way for them to play for us, for us to record their progress and sometimes to see whether or not they should still be in the program. And I think one of the mistakes we made at the beginning was it was a little too much of a free for all. Mm. Sounds like you're running a business and you're (laughs) keeping track of employees and productivity. And wow. I mean, mean, (laughs) it's, it is 
the thing about a nonprofit is it is becoming a new business model, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah, we earn our revenue differently than a for-profit business, but mm -hmm. we do still have all the same checks and balances. You know, we have to make sure that what we're doing is needed. We have to make sure that we have investors who are our donors who believe in what we do. Um, and that's how we make our money. So do you work with uh, politicians and civic organizations to raise grants and things like that as well? No, not so much. Um, one of the challenges of our program, and I wouldn't say it's a mistake, but it's just, you know, one of our unique challenges is that, and especially in finding grants, mm -hmm. is that we serve a small population of kids. Mm -hmm. We don't have 500 kids who we see three times a week. Um, and it's, what we do is we almost work in tandem with other organizations that do that. So there are organizations in Philadelphia, one of them, which is a really great partner organization of ours called Play on Philly. Um, they're an El Sistema model organization that starts kids in a few schools and, you know, they can stay after school five days a week and do music and learn about music from amazing professionals and play concerts and everything. But we take the kids from organizations like that who really, really want to make a go of it. And then we support them in a really deep way that organizations that have so many kids, they, they just can't. Right. You know, because their focus, of course, is, is different than ours. Um, so working in conjunction with these other organizations right. is really, it yeah, seems like it's really know, our working. Our partnerships have really led to a lot of strength for us, but it is a challenge in terms of fundraising because, of course, funders want to, they want to know how many kids are helped by their dollars, you know, right. and I don't blame them. Um well, what's, so. we're good. We're glad that you're here because, I mean, as you know, music education is tough in this country right now. It is. A lot of funding is pulled and whatnot, and... Um, I go to see orchestra as often as I possibly can, but I always notice that they, they're constantly fundraising. So like, you know, without, yes. without the funds, I mean, what do you, you know, where are you going to get the money from? Yeah. So. And even big organizations like Philadelphia Orchestra really rely on donations. Mm -hmm. It's not just ticket sales. Yeah, so. absolutely. As I take a look here at your resume, it looks like you really bounced around a lot, uh, in a lot of, uh, orchestras and operas and, and symphonies and you were, um, guest concert masters. You went to the Yale School of Music to get your masters, it looks like. And, um, from what I see here, you also play at the Philadelphia Orchestra sometimes as well as Philly Pops. So, I mean, you, it sounds like you've, you're really making your way around, uh, around town, different towns, actually. I see a lot of different countries and, and states. You know, I was a concert master for all the orchestras I played for growing up. And then after college, I just, kind of let go i went into like computers and, and film and and you know building businesses and i just kind of lost track of the violin but i felt like i guess it just wasn't a career choice for me so i, I look at your resume and i'm like wow she made it a huge career and I'm, and I'm just wondering like again like how did you get past that feeling of oh this is like you know hard work for me to do this and but now i'm going to turn it into a job and like what what did it feel like going to yale and like being concert master in all these orchestras and playing with the Philadelphia Orchestra. Like, what is it all? Like, tell me this, this, what, how many years, 20 years or 15 years? Oh, that I've been a professional? Yeah. Um, well, I graduated from college and, or grad school in 2001. So since then. Yeah. yeah so 18, years, 16 years. Yeah. Yeah. In 2019. So we're, yeah. that's, that's crazy. So tell me a little bit about the experiences you had and, and how you were able to get into all of those places. It must have been difficult. Well, I think really the number one thing that 
leads to uh, success in a music career is being able to hustle. <laughs> you have to really find opportunities, create opportunities, be on constantly on the lookout for new opportunities. I mean, they're, they're just not going to come to you. And I think that's a mistake that a lot of people make. Um, I've seen people get out of school and then they're like, oh, well, what do I do now? And they don't really go out there to find, work, wow. you know, and one of the nice things about music is it really does allow you to travel a lot if that's what you want to do. Um, one of my greatest joys in life is traveling. And having gotten to spend three months in Portugal, six months in Finland, which I never wow. thought I would do, but, you know, <laughs> why not? Um, and, you know, I lived in Colorado for 12 years. And, oh. yeah, I've been all over the place just because, you know, it, it takes a – you have to – be comfortable with being uncomfortable to a certain extent too. Um, you know, realize that you're going to be fine, even though it's scary. Um, but I think that's really one of the greatest life lessons of it too. You know, that's cool. That's really, really cool. And that's a good lesson for people to know is that you have to put yourself out there. You yeah. have to go after what you want. You can't expect it to come to your doorstep. Yeah. And, and even if it's a little uncomfortable out of your comfort zone, you still have to try to do it at least to see if it's okay. Like you said, this is, another, again, you're hitting these points that I teach. It's one of the number one things why people don't succeed is they're afraid to try. They're afraid to do the work mm -hmm. to get to what they want. And they feel like it's it'll just come to them. And it's just, just not how right. life works. You have to work hard. And another point that I want to make is all the things on my resume, it looks like I've done all these things. That's maybe 15 to 20% of what I've tried to do. Of course. So, you know, I haven't succeeded at everything. There have been a lot of, you know, auditions that I've taken that I didn't get anywhere in. There have been, you know, I'm just tons of opportunities that I didn't get to have, which is fine, you know, and I did get to have all these other ones. Because you worked really hard to get them. Yeah. You had to go through those thousand to get yeah, those exactly. 20. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's, it's a shame that people get so discouraged when they, quote, lose. You know, I mean, someone's got to win. It mm -hmm. can't always be you. Mm -hmm. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, I agree. You know, if you're still, if your trajectory is basically in the right direction, then, then keep going. That's awesome. That's really good advice. And, and this led you to join the Fairmount Strings Quartet now, it mm -hmm. sounds. So tell me a little bit about how you joined them, you know, what you guys do together and how, how that whole quartet works. Sure. Well, I got really lucky. Um, when I moved back to Philadelphia in the fall of 2014, right before I moved back over the summer before that, I got a call from a good friend of mine saying, Rachel, um, there's this quartet here called Fairmount String Quartet. They're looking for a violinist. Um, they've been around for 30, almost 30 years. Um, a really wonderful lady named Beth Zwill, who's the violist, started it back then um, as a single mom, started this whole thing. Um, I just, I respect her so much for having done that and put all that work into it and grown it into what it is today. Um, but I have loved chamber music so much ever since I was a kid. Um, there's something about playing in, it's great to play an orchestra and it's overwhelming and the whole sound and the everyone and it's so fun. It's great. But it's also great to work in these tiny groups where you can really, really get into the nitty gritty of like, what does this piece mm -hmm. mean? And exactly what do we want to do with this? And so that was actually something I had been missing in my life was playing a lot of chamber music. So I auditioned right when I moved back. 
And luckily it was a good fit. So awesome. they accepted me. And yeah, we play three or four programs a year of, awesome. you know, straight up classical. Do you have any coming up soon? We do. We've got two in February on uh, the 23rd and the 24th. And also on April 7th and 8th, I believe we've added. And, and these are available on another website? And these are available on fairmountstrings.com. Okay. Another thing that this group does and that Beth um, does is to hire us and others for all kinds of events. Awesome. Um, so if you're looking for like special events and weddings. Party or wedding or, yep, we do all those too. Awesome. So. I'm going to tell you a funny story. When I moved into this house, I got my violin out of my parents' basement. I was like, I want to try to get back into the violin. I was probably in my early 30s, and it had been about 10 years since I picked it up. And I I kind of missed it. So I thought about looking for a quartet. Mm-hmm. I found a rinky-dink quartet. It was just a couple of people in a house. And you know, one guy had a cello, another person had a bass, a girl had a violin, and a girl had a viola, et cetera, et cetera. And, and we were just trying to play together. So we all got sheet music and started playing the same song, but it, for some reason, it it didn't. It like you said, it worked for you. It just didn't work for us. It was kind of weird. Like not everybody was that good, which is fine. You're not supposed to be professional when you just play for fun. Yeah. But I think my one gripe was the girl who started it, who started the quartet or the quintet or whatever it was, because it was five of us. She she kind of forced me into second violin. Uh. I was not, I've never been a second violin. I was always a first violin. And so when I, I didn't, when I was playing the second violin part, it was just too easy for me. Okay. And she was flubbing the first violin solos. And I yeah. was, so, so then when, when we were taking a break, I just started playing the first violin solo <laughs> perfectly. And, and then she they, must have loved that. they didn't invite me back. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I, I asked when the next one was, they said they can't, they were not, they're, they're like, we're just going to break up the group. It's not worth it. But I know what that meant that they were, sh- but you know what? That's just, I'm sorry. I'm not going to, I'm not going to like, I guess you would say dumb yourself down just yeah. because, you know, just because, you know, the other person's ego is in the way. I'm like, put the better person in first violin, Absolutely. right? And- um, I mean, I'm lucky that in this group, actually, we switch. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and that's my favorite thing. And, and we had done that when I first got in and then the other violinist resigned and we had a, another violin opening, actually. Then this is the first year we're with this new woman named Leah Kim. And Beth asked me whether I wanted to just play first violin when we did the switch, right? When hmm. we had the opening. And I was like, no, I, <laughs> I want to get someone who we can really, you know, still continue to switch because, you know, the second violin parts, yeah, they're less, they can be less challenging technically. Mm-hmm. Some, some parts are not. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I remember. But it's a whole different kind of thing. I mean, it's like best supporting actor. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? You're you supporting. Still have to be a really good actor. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it's just a different skill. And I like being able to do both. No, I actually so. like this method that you're bringing up yeah. of switching. I would have, yeah. if she had told me that, I said, Hey, every other week you can be first and I'll be, right. s-, then I would have been yeah. like, okay, fine. That's fine, but yeah, it was always. What we do is we sit down and we map out the um, repertoire for the entire year for our concerts, and then she and I get together or text or whatever. We're like, okay, I really want to play this one. I've always wanted to play that part. Okay, fine. Oh, I really want to play this other one. All right, cool. You know, so we decide between the two of us. And sometimes if we don't have any opinion, we literally flip a coin. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like sports. Yep. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're doing a really good job of bringing well-deserved music to people who don't get it. And it sounds like you've been making a change in the community in a positive way where others have maybe overlooked the market that you're in. 
So uh, is there anything that you want to tell people out there who want to help an organization like yours or want to help kids like yours or want to help promote music in the area that you want them to hear? Sure. Well, we have an event coming up on February 17th. It's a jazz soiree evening. It's going to be at the Ethical Society downtown in Rittenhouse Square from 4 to 7. And tickets are available for that at Eventbrite. You can go on our website, www.primaverafunds.org, to find out about everything we're doing. We accept donations through our website as well. If uh, you want to donate, corporate sponsorship, anything like that, you know, we're always looking for. It is difficult today because so much music is being taken out of schools and so many, you know, professional projects are also being defunded. But, you know, I think that it really is important for people to continue to be allowed to make art a profession because without it, you know, what's the point? What are you like, left with? What are you left with? You know, some, <laughs> I, I read this funny thing online, probably on Facebook. You know, if you think that music is just a luxury and whatever, then try going 30 days without any music. Oof. Right? But when I read it, it was like right at the beginning of December. And I thought, gosh, especially this month. Can you imagine? Christmas music. Right. <laughs> December with no music. It's impossible. It was so depressing, right? It's impossible. So, yeah, just for if people can just remember that it really is a profession. It's something that we work very hard at. And we do it because we love it and we want to bring it to the public. And we want people's lives to be enriched by it. So, yeah, just keep supporting the arts in any way you can. Awesome. Thank you, Rachel Siegel. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I'll see see you at an event in the near future. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks. I hope you learned something in today's episode. If you did, please share it with your friends. If you have a business idea you'd like to pitch to me, you can do so on my website, jasonsherman.org. Don't forget to pick up a copy of my book, also called Strap on Your Boots, available on Amazon and anywhere books are sold. And if you want to dive even deeper into the world of entrepreneurship, I suggest you sign up for my course called Startup Essentials on Udemy.com. I really do appreciate your support if you decide to donate via PayPal, and I hope you tune into my next episode.